0: Hi everybody, I'm Karen, I'm an alcoholic. And it's through the grace of God and the power of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've been sober since May 30th, 1982, and that doesn't make me a miracle; it makes AA a miracle. And if you're no, if you're new here tonight, I want to welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I always call it God's magnificent AA, the problem that saved my life, and it's going to save yours too, if you're willing to take a few quick actions. And I suggest strongly to you a sponsor tonight, that you get that book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you get busy. If everybody else is doing it around here. And you're going to stay sober, as so I've stayed sober for 18 years. And people like me cannot stay sober. I can guarantee. My home group is the Pacific Group in West L.A., a group I'm very, very proud to be a member of, just as I'm sure you're proud to be a member of yours. And I guess if you're not proud, you ought to get a job, and you might change your mind. I certainly have a job in mind, and I'm proud to have that job. I want to thank Denny for inviting me to come back. I, you know, in our book, it says, Great events will come to pass for us and countless others. This is a great event. Let me tell you guys, you have got some of the finest speakers in the world at this podium this weekend. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about them, you know. They're just a great, great lineup of speakers, and I'm so much looking forward to And I apologize for being late, but it wasn't my fault, obviously. <laughs> On the airplane, I started crying. I thought, Wendy's my hostess. What's going to happen this time? No, that's <laughs> not, that's not. Anyway, Denny, thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be at this podium this weekend. And, you know, I've been talking to an awful lot of things before I ever wrote my big mouth. And one thing is to talk to my sponsor, and Clancy sent you his love and very best wishes tonight. And if anybody in this room is wondering why I have a man for a sponsor and why I have Clancy for a sponsor, it's really quite simple. I did not get sober in California. I got sober in a place called Lincoln, Nebraska. It was just a, well, it's just a goddamn terrible place to get sober if you want <laughs> to you improve. Know, there's parts in Nebraska that are good to get sober in, but that's not one of them. I got to tell you, and I went through 19 sponsors in that town. I wasn't doing very well, let me tell you. And, and thank God, the old timers love me enough to get my current sponsor. And I can tell you that my life has done nothing but totally, completely transverse resolve that. And I absolutely adore the ground that that man walks on. And I talked to him last night before I left this morning. And, and he said, well, get up there and share your experience, your strength, and your hope. And tell those people what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Ignore the old timers. They got it. They don't need your inspiration, my dear. And, and talk <laughs> direct to those new people the life and blood of AA. And I believe it as I stand here. And I welcome you. And I hope that you stand. And I think I did without a doubt the most important thing I can ever do, and that's to say, God, please help me say what you want me to say to these people. God is very much a part of my life tonight, you guys. It did not used to be that with me, I can guarantee you. You know, I have to tell you guys, you know, when I got my current sponsor, I had to change my sobriety date, and, you know, if you're smoking marijuana this room tonight, you are not sober now, Thomas, I will tell you right this minute, and <laughs> if I had to change my date, then by God, so do you, but anyway, uh, I gotcha. Uh, my current sponsor And I tried to explain to him That where I'm from In Lincoln, Nebraska You can have two sobriety dates One from alcohol And one from drugs He pointed out to me That I was in Southern California We had one date To get my date changed And I was just smartass When I got my current sponsor And I said Where does the book mention pot? He said Well the book does mention pot And I said Clancy, I have read that book It does not talk about Marijuana in that book And he said If I find the word pot In that book will you change your sobriety I Never argue with me again? And I knew I was making A bad deal you guys But I did it anyway And I'll be damned If he didn't flip open The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. On the first page of Bill Wilson's story it says, died by musket or by pot. I said, I said, uh, that is not what that means. He said, quite frankly, my dear, I don't care what it means. You said the book didn't mention pot. It does mention pot. Change your sobriety date. And my life has flourished, i got to tell you guys. But I'm delighted to be here. I really mean that. I loved it the last time I was here and stuff. And I'm also delighted that you don't have a glass room. You can see your speaker. I had this terrible experience on the East Coast. I was out there giving a talk. And running on my talk, my skirt fell off in front of 3,000 people. And, um, and with this glass room, you could actually see the speaker and stuff. I thought, that makes me crazy being back the Because it just makes me so nervous and stuff And anyway, this black suit on with this wraparound skirt And the button came in And I thought, my God, my skirt's going to fall on the floor And it was too late it was on the floor But you guys, you know what? Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to wear underwear And thank God I had some (laughs) on It's also taught me to take action I just picked up that skirt and kept right on talking What else are you going to do? You know, um The promises are going to be read here tonight after this meeting, and and those promises are so precious in my life, and and I have to tell you guys, the latest great event in my life, and you it never ceases to amaze me what happens around here if you do the right thing, and I don't always do the right thing, so lots of times things don't happen to me, but this time I did the right thing, and I want to share that with you. You know, about 25 years ago, I was in Winnipeg, Canada, and I came out of a blackout, drunk driving, all that kind of stuff, and I have no idea how I was even in Winnipeg, Canada. I don't recall going across the border, nothing, and I was in this car, and I thought, where am I, and whose car is this, and last night, I remember, I was at my boyfriend's house in North Dakota, and we got in a fight, and I took his car, and I didn't know that car was stolen, I would never would have taken a stolen car, and I don't know how you report a stolen car stolen, but he did, by God. And, and um, You know, my, my perce- perceptions of reality have always been so distorted, I can't begin to tell you guys. And I always think of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police on horses chasing you. I didn't know they were in cars chasing you. But anyway, this guy pulled me over, this mounty pulled me over and came up to my window. And he said, young lady, do you know how fast you were going? And I said, no, I don't know how fast I was going. And he said, well, you were going 90 miles an hour. And I said, well, I didn't mean to do that. And he said, and I smell alcohol, get out of the car. And I said, I don't live in your country, and you can't tell me what to do. You know, every time I'm in trouble, I'll do one thing more to make it worse every single time. And I found out you can exit car more one way that, that night in Winnipeg, Canada. That guy literally jerked me out the side window. I got to tell you, and, and I took my purse with me, and, and I hit him in the forehead with my purse, and I had this silver chain hanging out. With that person, it knocked a great big laceration right into the middle of his forehead, and And it just literally brought him to his knees. And I mean, the blood just flew. And I thought, boy, Karen, you have done it now, let me tell you. And so anyway, obviously, I got arrested for that. And I spent about 10 days in Winnipeg in their jail. And and my family had an attorney up from Nebraska to get me out of jail. It cost me about $10,000 to get out of that. And... And that re- really made me mad that they kept that car, and I had to pay for it. Canada kept that car, but anyway, on and on and on. And so, anyway, I read my inventory to my sponsor, and, and you know, and, and that was about 17 years ago. And, and he told me, he said, I want you to find that amount, and make amends to him. And I said, okay, and I'm willing to do that because I know what happens when I make amends around here, although I balk at every single one, i got to tell you guys. I am not a saint like Chapter 5 says, I can assure you. But anyway, you know, I was in that jail in Winnipeg. A member of Alcoholics Anonymous came to visit me. And I will tell you, this seed was planted. And, and this guy knocked on my jail cell. It was like a, a door you knock on. It wasn't really the bars and stuff. They had the women in a separate facility. and. And he said uh, you know that Mountie was my brother that you hit and he's got 56 stitches in his head young lady and he is really angry but what he's really mad about is how he's getting teased by the rest of the Mounties about how he, how he let a 110 pound woman bring him to his knees you know and, uh, <laughs> anyway he said I've been sober in a for a long time can I be of service to you he said you are in trouble young lady and I said yeah you can be of service to me get the hell away from my jail cell that's what you can do I obviously was not ready for Alcoholics Anonymous yet but I never forgot him you guys and I thought What does that man do and come to see somebody he doesn't even know? I just thought the whole thing was really nice, if you want to know the truth. But anyway, all those years went by. I still drank for seven more years and stuff. But anyway... You know, I, my sponsor told me to find this Mountie, and, and I called up to Winnipeg, and they destroyed the records after five years in Canada, and I couldn't seem to come up with a name. And, and this guy that I talked to, he said, Lady, you know, we don't have any record of it. And I said, Oh, you have to help me. I need to find him. Please help me. And Because all my amends were done, you guys, except for that one. And I've been waiting 17 years to get that amend done, you know, and and I just have to do it. At least that's what I think. And you know, my sponsors taught me I tried to find him. That's what the step says we try. Sometimes we're not successful. And he said... You know, keep your eye open and be of service. And I thought, keep my eye open and be of service. What does that mean? You know, but I never forgot that he told me that either. But anyway, I boarded the flight at LAX about six weeks ago to Fly to Calgary, Canada, to give a talk, and every time I go to Calgary or anywhere up there, the hair on my neck stands straight up. I got to tell you that. Always afraid they're going to keep me and so forth. But anyway, I mean that mess is cleaned up, but I'm still scared to go up there. That's just me, I guess. But anyway, I board that flight, and I won't mention the airlines, but they fly in the friendly skies. And they had mechanical ferry at LAX, and we were down on the ground another hour and a half. And you know, I sat down by this elderly gentleman on the airplane, and I really don't like to talk to people on the plane because I bring my dirty books and I just want to read them and stuff. But anyway, I said hi to him and he said hello to me and he said you look so familiar to me and i said really and he said yeah you do and i i thought well i wonder why and i thought be quiet i want to read my books but anyway i was nice to him and stuff and so the people on the plane were just in a rage, you guys. You ought to have seen them. I just sat there and laughed at them. I thought it was funny. Yeah, you know, you're powerless. What can you do? You know, might, might as well have a good time with it and stuff. And uh, little did I know that I was going to be in a rage in a little while. But we finally got in the air and we had to connect in San Francisco. And like there was international connections people had missed and, and San Francisco held us four times around a few. We had to land in San Jose. And by this time I was in a rage, let me tell you. And I'd missed my Friday night talk. My plane was long gone and stuff. But, you know, my sponsors taught me that when I'm acting like that, I had better well change what I'm doing right this minute because I'm going to make a perfect ass out of myself <laughs> if I don't and stuff. And so this old guy had a cast on his leg, and I said, could I get you a cup of coffee? And he said, well, that would be nice. And I said, okay. And I got him his coffee, sat back down, and he said, why do you look so familiar to me? He said, is your name Karen? And I said, yeah. And I, I thought, how does he know my name? And anyway, uh, I said, well, I presume that you're retired. What did you do for a living? And he said, well, I was a Mountie. And I thought... I this is really getting weird, you guys. And Anyway, I thought, it can't be him. Mean, it didn't look familiar to me, but yet I couldn't really remember what the guy even looked like anyway, because I was drunk. But anyway, um, he said, what are you going to Canada for? And I told him what I was doing. I said, actually, I'm going to go up there and give an AA talk. I don't mind sharing that with people. And, and he said, oh, my brother's in AA. I said, really? And he said, yeah, my brother's going to be 42 years sober. And I said, well, so is my sponsor. And he said, who's your sponsor? And I said, Clancy. And he said, I've heard Clancy talk. My brother took me to a convention one time. I said, really? I said, slow small world, isn't it, and stuff, and I really didn't want to talk to this guy because I was just really getting scared about this for some reason, but anyway, he said to me, did you ever get in trouble in Canada? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I didn't. He said, well, tell me what happened, and I told him the whole story, and you guys, he lifted up a lock of hair, and there was a scar, 56 stitches in it 25 years ago. And I just sat on that plane and sobbed, you guys. I mean, I was just in hysterics. You have no idea. And, and he said, Lady, everybody on the plane's looking at us. Will you stop it? You know, and <laughs> I thought, I don't care if they're looking at us. I said, I am so sorry that I did that. What can I do to make that right? And he said... Honey, you paid my hospital bill. Forget about it. I'm just glad that you're sober. And I said, No, I can't forget about it. I need to do something for you. Please let me do something for you. And he said, Okay, you can wait on me the rest of the trip. Will that be okay? And I said, Absolutely. And he said, Let's call my brother. And I said, Okay. And he said, Get your credit card out. There's the telephone. And I thought... (laughs) But I, I was more than happy to do that. And, and so we called his brother, and his brother was so excited, you guys. And I can't begin to tell you. He said, oh, Karen, I'm so glad that you're sober. What a wonderful news that is for me. And he said, what a mess you were. He said, we talked about you for years in Winnipeg, but you're the worst woman we have ever arrested and stuff. But anyway, I said, will you call my sponsor? I can't seem to get through to him and tell him what's going on here. He said, absolutely. So. I, for some reason, that phone wouldn't go through to L.A., and, and so he called Clancy, and Clancy called him back, and Clancy passed the message to me, keep your eye open, be of service, you never know what's going to happen. Isn't that funny? He remembered that from telling me that 17 years ago, and that's exactly what happened. You know, I kept my eye open, I was of service, so, you know, I'm so glad that that's taken care of you guys. My amends are made. Now it's just current wreckage in my, in my future here, but anyway, you know. The day I got sober, I weighed 95 pounds. I was a color squash. I had an alcoholic hepatitis, I had a liver cirrhosis, I had ruptured esophageal varices, and if you guys don't know what that stuff is, you don't want to, it, because you die from that kind of stuff. And I was standing on Skid Row in Lincoln, Nebraska, sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And if you guys haven't drank Mad Dog, I need to tell you it's not one of your finer wines, I can assure you. I'll guarantee you one thing, that crap has never seen a grape. make no mistake about that. And, and I, Literally could not believe what's gone my life. I'd lost my children. I'd lost my husband twice. Although I don't really care about that, I want you to know. I'd lost my car. I'd lost my house. I destroyed every relationship I'd ever had with anybody. And I was clearly dying from alcoholism. And then I lost the one thing that brought my knees and disease. I lost my nursing license. And you guys, I love my profession. That absolutely devastated me, but did not stop me from drinking. And there's a reason for that. And it's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I have an obsession that somehow someday I will learn to control and enjoy my drinking. The persistent illusion is astonishing, just like our book talks about many of us pursuing the gates of insanity and death. And I'll guarantee you one thing. I was in the gates of insanity. I got sobered almost into my coffin. And I am so grateful for this program as I stand here tonight. I cannot begin to tell you. And you're going to soon see why and stuff it. You guys, I come from a wonderful home there in Nebraska, and I want you to know that, and my mother wants you to know it, too, I'll guarantee you that. You know, my mom died seven years ago, and I miss that woman so much I cannot begin to tell you. And, boy, you only get one mom, and then when they're gone, they're gone, let me tell you. And I made amends to her many, many years ago, and we had a wonderful relationship the last few years of her life and stuff, but God, I just miss her terribly. And I come from an alcoholic home, and I don't think that's neither here nor there. I don't do well with people who stand at AA podiums and blame anybody for anything. And my father died from this disease on the street. To Chicago in 1979, and you tell me how in the Air Force dies on Skid Row, I don't know how that happened, and the fact that he was an alcoholic, and whether he ever found A or not, I did not know. I just know that he certainly did not stay sober as a result of it, and you know, one more time tonight, this is a cunning, baffling, powerful disease that kills people. This is not a game I'm playing up, but this is serious business, and I would give anything in the world if my father were alive tonight, because we would have a lot to talk about, i got to tell you. I have a sister who was Miss Rara in high school and homecoming queen and Shirley and all that kind of stuff and made straight A's and never cracked a book and I made straight F's and never cracked a book and that was the difference. <laughs> But, you know, that woman it was a model for Neiman Marcus for many, many years. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman. She looks nothing like me, i got to tell you. And when we were growing up, I was just so jealous of her, I can't begin to tell you. And, you know, what I found out about my sister in sobriety that she's also very really beautiful on the inside, too, and I never, never, never used to even know that. But I have a brother who's a pilot in the Navy in Spain who got from Operation Desert Storm a couple of years ago. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, he was over Eastern Asia, you know, he's a fighter pilot and stuff. And when we were growing up, I thought my brother was such a dork, you guys, I really did. Straight as an arrow mic, doesn't drink, doesn't use drugs, doesn't screw around. He was an embarrassment to me if you want to know the truth. <laughs> tonight, I'm so proud of my brother, I can't begin to tell you. You wouldn't catch me over Iraq in any fighter plane, but neither one of these people are alcoholic. And I have another sister who's married to public defender in Lincoln, Nebraska, who got me out of a whole bunch of trouble when I got sober, and I'm welcome in their home scene I never used to be. I come from basically a very boring family, going to the truth. They're highly successful people, and they bore me to tears, i got to tell you guys. I have a couple kids who are 39 and 40 years old, and I know I'm old enough to have kids that age, but by God, I sure do. And, and this is where it really starts getting interesting. For me. These kids are anything but boring, I gotta tell you guys. As a matter of fact, they're a couple of jerks if you wanna know the truth. You know, but you know what? Those couple of jerks give me five of the most gorgeous grandbabies you've ever seen before in your life. And, you know, I hate to be a bragging grandmother. But I hate people that do stuff like this, but when it's my grandbaby, it's a whole different story, let me tell you. But I have a beautiful grandson. His name is Ryan, and Ryan is 11 years old. And little Ryan apparently he's just a nice kid, you guys. I had no idea where it came from and stuff. But anyway, he's quite a gymnast, and, uh, and my My son and his wife got a phone call from Budweiser out of St. Louis, Missouri, wanting to train this kid in training for the Olympics and stuff. And and my son called me and he said, Mom, what do you think? He's so little. And I said, Jeff, it's your child. I wanted to tell him, let him go, you idiot. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. Let him go. But I did not say that. It kicked in for me and I minded my own business. And I said, he's your child. You have to do what you think is right. And he said, oh, Mom, I don't know what to do, and I said, well, you know, we have a friend of a family in Nebraska who's a child psychologist, and I said, why don't you have Chris come over and talk to Ryan and see what he thinks, and you know, that child psychologist told my son and his wife, he's a very stable young man, it's the opportunity of a lifetime, let him go. So I'm happy to board here tonight that my little grandson is in Norman, Oklahoma, trained at Nadia Comaneci and Bart Connor's clinic down there, and and he called me on my 18th AA birthday in May, and and you know... Like I said earlier, great events come to pass. And this is a great event in my life, let me tell you. And that little baby is only 11 years old, you guys. He's never seen his grandmother drink, let me tell you. But this is what he said to me. He says, Grandmother Karen, we're so proud of you. Happy 18th birthday. And I gotta tell you guys that I stood there and tears rolled down my cheeks one more time, you know. And, you know, when I got sober, my family wanted nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing. And it took years for me to get those kids to talk to me again. But those grandbabies, it's a whole different story, let me tell you. They'd never seen grandma drink and they think I'm hot stuff, let me tell you. But anyway. (laughs) I just stood there and cried one more time. And, and I don't know what's going to happen with that train for the Olympics. I have no idea. I know he just won his first state meet in Oklahoma. I do know that and stuff. But, you know, it makes no difference. I'm so proud of that kid, I can't begin to tell you. And, and the rest of my grandkids are doing very, very well and stuff. My oldest son just got busted for possession of crack cocaine in Nebraska with intent to sell. And, and the judge out there gave him a shot, put him in a treatment center, Nova Treatment Center in Omaha, Nebraska. And he walked out of there. So now the federal marshals are looking for him. That does not do anything for my sanity, let me tell you guys. But you know what? People like Mary Pearl, Sue, people I admire and, and Alanon have taught me it is none of my business. It is God's business and you know what? It's his life, he chose the path, and I'm just the mother, you know. I had to switch from that role of being telling him what to do to the role of being a parent it, it, when their kids get get old and stuff. But boy, it's a tough job, let me tell you guys. And but you know, I went to see him in jail in Lincoln in, in July when I was home and and I didn't say a word about what he'd done. I walked in and I said, What's up, Jeff? you know and he said, Mom, you know, I want some help and stuff. And I said, Well, I hope that you get it. You know, I just kept it basically very, very simple and stuff. And he looked at me and he said, You know what I love about you so much that you never said a word to me about my, my use and drugs. He said, You knew I was doing it. You never said a word. And I love you so much. It wouldn't have made a difference if you had said said something. So see, there you go, folks. But, I mean, things with my family are very, very good today. i got to tell you guys, in spite of it all, you know, and that's because I'm an active member of AA. I've made amends to them, and I contact them on a regular basis, and if they don't contact me back, it's no big deal. I just keep doing the deal, you know. And so those things have all panned out for me so well. So if you're new here tonight and your family's not talking to you, let me give you some hope. Let me give you some hope because it just make turn it around for yourself here. Just take the actions that are right. for you. Get a sponsor and do what the sponsor wants you to do. But anyway... You guys, when I was growing up in Nebraska, I was just a disruptive jerk is what I was. Always in trouble. Always get out of classrooms. I hated discipline. I was very, very rebellious. I really hated people telling me what to do. And I like it even less today if you want to know the truth. And you know, I never felt like I belonged anywhere. And I hear that a lot from AA podiums. And I'm right on with that. 125% I gotta tell you. You know, I really don't remember my first drink, you guys. But I can tell you that I hope to God I never forget my last one. And I hope it was my last one. But I remember what alcohol did for me from the very beginning. It made me feel like I belonged. I could be anything I wanted to be. I could do anything I wanted to do. I drank at any given opportunity after that, and I was probably about 13 years old. You know, I realize that I'm in the mean of Alcoholics Anonymous tonight, and I honor this podium by talking about alcoholism up here. I used a lot of drugs, too. Make that a small part of my story. My sponsor encourages me to do that. And, you know, when I was growing up in Nebraska, there just wasn't a lot of drugs on the street. But I'll guarantee you I found every single one of those drugs. And, you know, there was some marijuana and speed and stuff. And today, if you get caught for possession of marijuana, you get a ticket. Big deal. When I was growing up, you went to prisons, what happened to you. And that didn't scare me. Nothing scared me. I didn't mean, think I wasn't supposed to be doing it. I'm one of these alcoholic females, and I hate to say this from a podium, but it's precisely the way that it was for me, and we're supposed to tell the truth up here, that if you pat me on the head, my pants fall off is what happens to me, and I, I got myself into a lot of trouble when I was growing up. I absolutely love men, I love everything about them, you named about and I loved about them, they've been the downfall of my entire existence, and they remain the same today, I'm sorry to say, and I, I particularly like sick men, And there's a room full of them here tonight, I can just feel it, you know. It's, Girls, that's one thing I love about where I live in Southern California. It has got so many sick men. I'm just entertained around the clock 24 hours a day. And I have to tell you guys a, a funny story. I was in Nashville, Tennessee, giving a talk about, I don't know, I guess it was about seven or eight years ago. And one of the fine ladies of Nashville, Tennessee, A, walked up to me afterwards, I want you to know. And this woman said to me, she said, you're disgusting. And she wasn't kidding you guys. She meant every word of it. And I said, lady, from where I come from, being disgusting is a step up, I can assure you. And, and I, Furthermore, if I wanted you to sponsor me, I'd flown to Nashville and asked you. You know, I hear some women get this podium, and I wonder if they ever drank, you guys. I really do. Do all their drinking, and one room is say, "She trim through the keyhole with an eyedropper. I was out there big time. I got myself into a lot of trouble. I've been taught to share that for the alcoholics anonymous. And if I offend anybody in this room tonight, I would never offend anybody in the program that saved my life, let me tell you. And besides that, my book tells me, and this is my favorite part of our book, It says, clean to the thought that in God's hands, your dark past will be the greatest possession that you have. Then it goes on to say, because you can literally avert death and misery for others. And I found that to be very, very true in my sobriety. So if I, if anybody, you're not, I want to hear about it afterwards either. But anyway, I got pregnant when I was 16 years old and I had to get married. And as it must be, I married an alcoholic, not most alcoholic women. I go for colorful, exciting men that beat the hell out of you and all kinds of stuff. And he wasn't even a man, you guys. He was only 17 years old and I was 16. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't take care of a baby nor do I want to take care of a baby. And before we knew it, we had two babies to take care of. And I could find out what caused all that, and I put a halt to it, I'll guarantee you that. And <laughs> uh, that caused me a lot of trouble throughout the years. And as it must be, I married an individual that refused to work, it drank on a daily basis, He's come home and come on, beat me up on a daily basis. And I had never seen a man hit a woman before in my life, you guys. I'll guarantee you one thing: if my dad would have laid one hand on my mom, she'd have knocked him from here to the moon. I got to tell you. And, and I grew to hate this guy very, very much. And I'm not blaming him for my disease, so please don't get me wrong. It's just part of my story, and I need to share it. And something that family had to get a job, and I didn't finish junior high yet, for Christ's sakes. And I found a job as a nurse's aide at a the hospital there in Lincoln, and the magic was put in my life. I literally fell in love with nursing. And I made a plan to myself. I would love to go to school, and I'd love to become a registered nurse, that's what I would love to do. You know, they say that alcoholics don't have willpower. And I'm here to tell you now from this podium that that is a bunch of crap. I have more willpower than 20 elephants. When I want to do well, I'm going to do well. I have no willpower as far as my disease goes, but when I want to do something, I'm going to do it. I went back, I finished junior high, I finished high school, I went to college full-time for three years, and I worked full-time for three years. And I'm talking about 18, 20 hours a day, you guys, and that is hard stuff to do drink, not use any drugs during this period of time, at the age of 27 years old, I became a registered nurse. And if you think I'm proud to stand here tonight and tell you that I got jerked in front of the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska, and they told me, you are a disgrace to your profession, you're a disgrace to nursing, you're a disgrace to medicine, you are no longer working because we just jerked your nursing license. If you think I'm proud of that, you are sadly wrong. You guys, I love my profession, and I really, really mean that. And I would never do anything to jeopardize the people that I take care of, you know, the people that I work with in ordinary circumstances. And what I had to tell you now is a story about how I threw it right down the toilet so I could drink. And that is total insanity. It's also called alcoholism. At the age of 27 years old, I went to work in surgery at a hospital there in Lincoln, and I had that job for 19 years. I love working in the operating room. I love taking care of those patients. It's a colorful, exciting nursing position. I drank. I ran with medical people mostly. They were colorful, intense people. They worked hard, and they played hard. And I need to tell you guys that the incidence of alcoholism amongst my profession is tremendously high. And that'll do a lot for your security level if you're going to have surgery next week, but it has to be very, very true. <laughs> and those people are so grateful that I'm sober that they can't see straight. And I'm talking about alcoholics is what I'm talking about. You know, at the age of 27 years old, I divorced this man. And girls, I got to tell you that a whole new world opened up to me, and it's called men and alcohol. And I went absolutely hog wild is what I did. I was engaged eight times during that divorce. I never did marry these people. Two of them died from alcoholism, for Christ's sakes. I don't know anything about social drinking. I drank, and with alcoholics, we do indeed die from this. And, you know, in our book, Alcoholics promises is clearly, the word tell telling the general way what our drinking was like. And you're gonna get the general idea real quick what my drinking was like. I can tell you guys about my drinking in about five seconds have you know, the truth. Many, many years ago, I was at a concert in upstate New York called Woodstock. The real Woodstock, not that piece of crap they had four summers ago, but there will never be another Woodstock, trust me on that. And New York got when they're going to have this big event, and they told these people, if you don't get medical coverage, you're not going to have this concert, so they started hiring people from the Midwest, because they thought it would be more responsible, and we were a seedy lot, I can assure you, and I was the first alcoholic scientist to and nine girls I worked with to join me, and we made about 80 doctors from the East Coast, and then we were at Woodstock i never seen so much alcohol in one place in my entire life. You could have sold a bath but no problem whatsoever, and the drugs, it was like a candy store, and everybody was sharing, we sharing narcotics with everybody else, and we had this great big semi-truck on that back, lot of it stock that was our hospital park back there, and I don't recall being that semi the entire week, but I do recall what it's like to stand from the stage of night that Richie Haven sang Freedom, and Joe Cocker and Country Joe, and Santana, those groups that I love. I come from the roaring 60s, you guys, and I love rock and roll, let me tell you, and things have not changed in my life one little tiny. Bit. I loved Elvis Presley, and Janice Joplin was my lady, let me tell you. Wouldn't Janice Joplin have been a fine member of Alcolex Anonymous, you guys? I'd have hung out with Janice, let me tell you. I'd have traded Janice for Clancy any day of the week. nice no, that's the wife. I don't really mean <laughs> I wouldn't trade my sponsor for 20 Janice Joplin's. Please don't tell him I said that, but anyway, you know, drinking for me at one time was a fun thing, you guys. It'd be life and you' me to say nothing but that, but I cannot remember the fun after the pain that it caused me. And one more time, I am so grateful for this program, I can't begin to tell you. And I'm going to give you a couple quick drinking stories and get my recovery here. You know, I love the horse races, too. Uh, they're not supposed to be doing them. I've been to the horse races in Omaha, Nebraska with a couple of nurses that I worked with, and, and the girls told me, they said, Karen, the horse race has been over it for three hours. We're all drunk. Let's go back to Lincoln. And I said, well, run along. I'd met two guys from Council Bush, Iowa, and these guys want to take me to a party, and by God, I was going. Like I said, you pat me on the head, and I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. And I really can't tell you much about this party, or the guys that I was with. I just know that I woke up out of a blackout on Highway 2 by Palmar, Nebraska, over a town of about 200 people. And I found out something very interesting about Palmar, Nebraska, that they take a dim view of naked women walking on their highways. I found that out. <laughs> um, and there I was at 2 o'clock in the morning, walking stark naked down down the highway, and my high heels carrying my purse, and it was February in Nebraska, and it's a tad bit nippy out there in February in Nebraska to be doing that. So I don't know why ducks' feathers freeze. I can assure you, but anyway, of all the luck, the first person I ran to was a highway patrolman. And you know, in Nebraska, the cops travel themselves; they don't have a partner a lot of time. And, uh, and this guy stops his squad car, and he rolls down his window, he turns on his siren, and he looked at me and he said, "What are you doing?" And I thought, well, that's about the stupidest thing ever anybody say. It's quite obvious what I was doing. He said, lady, you get in this squad car and you sit down and don't you touch me. Well, you know, one thing, like I said earlier, every time I'm in trouble, I'll do one thing more to make it worse every single time. And I said, I'm not getting your squad car because you might try and rape me. He said, lady, I wouldn't bet any money on it. You are absolutely disgusting is what you are. And I'm here to tell you guys that that made me matter. And he was going on to show you how sick I was. And he had to get a matron out from the Palmer, Nebraska city jail to come out there and get me. And that woman was not pleased, I will guarantee you. They're very busy at that downtown jail have time for this foolishness, and I went downtown, booked in that cop's raincoat. You know, cops keep raincoats in the trunks of their car for these occasions, and I went downtown, booked for indecent exposure, for assault and battery, for kicking his windshield, for hitting her, for hitting him, all the delightful little antics that we pull practice in alcoholics, and I will never forget how humiliating it was to be in that courtroom the very next morning, standing in my raincoat, when my brother-in-law, the public defender in Lincoln, Nebraska, came walking up to me, and I didn't know he was working there that day, and he said, Karen, have you lost your marbles or what? Why would you do something like this? And you guys, I looked at my brother-in-law, and I was to say this to many, many people in my drinking career in many, many courtrooms. I said, oh, for Christ's sakes, Dennis, this could happen to anybody. You know. (laughs) I, honest to God, believe that. I really did. You know, you're going to drink, these things are going to happen occasionally. And that cost me about $3,000 to get out of, and I just it off like it was no big deal. And I will ne- but I did learn one thing from that event I want to share with you, and this is all that I learned. Don't ever drink with men from Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I kept right on drinking. I will never forget what it felt like to wake up in the very hospital that I worked at in surgery, in their emergency room, coming out of a blackout one more time. One more time, I've been the horse races. You know, for a number of years, I thought the horse races were my problem. It certainly was not my drinking I'm one of these alcoholic females with a big mouth when I drink and I have a big mouth in sobriety, but I can tell you the pain is the teacher here, it's getting a lot better and, and I'd smarse some guy at that horse race track and he belted me right in the teeth is what he didn't and I had 18 stitches put in my mouth in the very hospital that I worked at. And, and the e doctor was plastic surgeon actually was standing on me putting 18 stitches in my mouth. And, and I'll never forget what this guy told me. You guys, as long as I live, I'll never forget this. He said, Karen, we love you so much. What is wrong with you? You are such a good nurse and stuff. We think you're an alcoholic. Let's send you to a treatment center and get this drinking problem taken care of so you can get on with your life here. And you guys, I could not believe the audacity that man had that he would say that to me. And I said, just fix my lip and get out of my face. I'll drink if I want to drink. And that's exactly what I did. And the drunk driving charges and the bad checks, all the stuff that we eventually do. My kids were in trouble. I never could marry these guys I was engaged to. They kept dying from alcoholism. And, and I thought, I need to get married to my ex-husband again. That's what I need to do. The kids need their father. Besides, I to get even with him for all the things he's done to me. And those are not very good reasons to get married again, i got to tell you. And, and I'm certainly not proud of it as I stand here tonight. You know, if anybody in this room is thinking about getting married to the same person twice, don't do it. You're gonna be sorry. The only the only way I can describe it's like taking a bite out of the same turd twice, if you will. I'm sorry, but that's the way I feel. I know. I know. I danced that man through three of the most miserable years of his life on the face of this earth. And and I love to tell you guys this, to tell you. And My sponsor always tells me that is not funny, and you should not be telling that from AA podiums. And I said, okay, fine. Then I won't tell it anymore. And he said, no, go ahead and tell it. Let those people see how sick you really were, and apparently how sick you really still are. And I'm still sick, and I still think it's funny, and I'm telling the story. When When I married him again, I told him, I said, if you ever hit me again, buddy, I'll kill you next time you hit me. And he said, I'll never hit you again ever, and I said, you better see that you don't, and he lied is what he did, not and, and he came home drunk one night, and I happened to be sober this night for some reason, and I'll never know why, because I usually wasn't, and girls, you know what guys do when they come home drunk, they want to take you to bed and stuff, and I was not buying it. If there's anything I can't stand, that some drunk man mauling me when I'm sober, and, and I... <laughs> I will say, though... I will say that when the shoe's on the other foot, though, it's fine with me, and, and that guy came home and indicated that to me, and I said, you get your hands off me and leave me alone. I wanted nothing to do with him, period, and he broke my arm is what he did, and I'm here to tell you guys that I was pissed. As a matter of fact, I'm still pissed about it, if you want to be clear. And, and I told him, I said, you go to sleep on that couch, and so help me, God, when you wake up, you're going to wish you'd never been born, and he said up for hours, you guys, with eyes pride open, and as it must be, he finally passed out, and, and I started drinking martinis, and this is a classic classic example of what alcohol did for me. Alcohol told me what to do. I didn't tell it what to do. And I had about eight, ten martinis and I was feeling no pain, I can assure you. And I was sitting there watching this guy. You know, And, uh, you know, and there I was, brilliant idea, one right after the other. That's one thing we should never do, folks, is drink and think at the same time. And, you, know, you know, this is many, many years ago. And my ex-husband, you know, I hate to tell you what he was doing, but I, I can't tell the story unless I tell you what he was doing. He was then on the couch playing with himself. And I thought, you disgusting man, you make me sick to my stomach. And the more I drank, the matter I got. And you guys, you know, I'm a nurse, and I'm very familiar with male anatomy. And I'd be very familiar with male anatomy if I wasn't a nurse. But anyway... <laughs> I came with this brilliant idea in my drunken stupor. This was many, many years ago, you guys, when Superglue first came out. And Superglue was powerful stuff. You know, Mrs. Bobbitt had nothing on me, I can assure you. poor wonderful she ever got started. And I got that super glue, and I read the directions on that super glue, and like I said, I was drunk, and I wasn't seeing very clearly, and what I thought those directions said were, if this hits human skin, you better get it off in 15 hours. Now, why would it say something stupid like that? What it said was, in fact, if this hits human skin, you better get it off in five minutes is what it said, and I went over to this guy. I get so excited when I tell this story, I can just do it all over again, but anyway. <laughs> I went over this guy and I poured super glue all over this guy's groin and I mean everywhere. There was not one place this meant not have super glue, and I laughed about it and I went to bed. And I woke up in the morning to screams of horror, like you cannot even believe him. You know, I did not mean to hurt this guy as bad as I did, and I swear to God that's true. But I'll tell you what happened, to my ex-husband. This guy never had the advantage of being circumcised when he was born, and now he clearly was, I can assure you. and And we had a telephone by our bed there in in Lincoln, he called the police and the cops in front of our home with their sirens going, there was an ambulance out there, the neighbors were gawking out of their windows, and, you know, one thing you guys got to keep in mind here, they did not see things like this happen in Lincoln, Nebraska, In California wouldn't surprise me one bit, but certainly not there, and and the cops were laughing, which led me the whole thing was funny. They said, lady, are you crazy or what? Why would you do something like this? And you guys, I stood and looked at those cops and I said, what makes you think that I did it anyway? I was only standing there with glue on my hands, for Christ's (laughs) sakes. And and they said, you're under arrest for assault and battery. And I said, you can't arrest wives in Nebraska for assault and battery against their husbands. I knew better than that. And two days later when I got out of jail, I guess I didn't know better than that. (laughs) And they took that man to the very hospital I worked at in surgery, and he had to have surgery. And one more time, the host staff saw what Karen did, and they took me to jail, I might add, and it turned out to be a Terrible, terrible thing! Those doctors there in Lincoln couldn't get that glue off, and they had to get two surgeons down from Creighton University Medical School in Omaha, Nebraska to get that glue off. And there's a paper in about that at Creighton. And anybody in this room is thinking about going to medical school, you can read about it if you want to. I'd always <laughs> want a paper written about me, but not like this. I got to tell you. And I was sitting there in that jail thinking to myself, I am getting out of this marriage. When this guy comes home from the hospital, he's going to glue something to mine shut. And he would have too. I got to tell you. I'm sorry, but he would have. You know. Uh, for those of you who don't know this, that happened to a lady in Kentucky about three years ago. I was on the national news and I was on the Santa Monica freeway driving home from work. I had a wreck when I heard it. I thought, oh God, better heard than me. I got to tell you, but you know what? We have an amends step in this program like I talked about earlier and my sponsor made me get on the airplane and fly to Sacramento, California and make amends to my ex-husband where he currently lives and stuff. And I tried to tell my sponsor, I'm not sorry that I did that. Therefore I don't have to make the amends. He said, I don't care whether you're sorry or not. Get in the airplane and get there and do what I'm asking you to do, and maybe one of these days you will be sorry, and I'm telling you, but in this room tonight, when that guy sees me, he kind of backs up, let me tell you, but we were able to <laughs> sit down and talk and stuff, and I made my amends to him, and I will tell you guys, I walked away from that man, I was free of what I had done to him, I was free of being married to him twice, and I will tell you, the promises in the Big Book of Alcoholics Time started coming through my life when I made those amends, so I know if this thing works, you just got to do it for it to work. At this time in my life, I got involved with the most of this, oh, I have to tell you guys a funny story quickly, I uh, I was at the Lompoc Prison, it's a federal prison in Northern California, up there speaking in, and, and they, have this, they bring in a speaker once a month for the, guy, for the guy's group up there, and, and I was, you know, you, I drove up there, and, and I was at the tower, and they, the guards are up in the tower and so forth, and you have to punch a button and tell them what your business is and so forth, and, and I told him, he said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here for the AA meeting, and he said, okay, he said, well, Mrs. Garrison, do you have any firearms on you, anything that would cause any problems And I said, no, and he said, well, Mrs. Garrison, do you have any super glue on you? You know, I do know. It totally came from left field. For the first time in my life, I was absolutely speechless, let me tell you. And and those guys aren't, nay, the guard, I mean the inmates put them up to it and stuff, but I thought, no, I don't have any super glue, can I come in? You know, you never know what's going to happen here, I'll tell you. But anyway. I divorced that man one more time, and you guys, I got involved with the most bizarre man I've ever met before in my life. This guy told me he was in the mafia. Now, I don't think anybody in Nebraska is in the mafia, for Christ. It was a typical alcoholic nightmare is what it was. I was drinking on a daily basis. I was taking Valium for severe tremors I was starting to have. It was beginning to be no more fun, i got to tell you guys. You know, I'm a nurse, and I've studied alcoholism, and I knew all about before I became one. It shows me one more time tonight what our book says is true. Self-knowledge avails us nothing of this disease. It's action that counts. Nowhere in the big book of we have a chapter called Into Thinking, but we do have one that's called Into Action, and that's the only reason I'm standing here 18 years sober, i got to tell you, and, and the day came in the hospital told me, we've had all the crap we're going to take off of you, we cannot read about our nursing staff in the paper anymore, glue and husbands, drunk driving charges, bad checks, everything you do in Lincoln's in the paper, I'm sorry to say, and they knew my game, let me tell you, and they said, you're either going to a treatment center, you longer had this job, well, you guys, you know what, you don't tell people like me that stuff, and I said, you and what army's going to make me go to a treatment center, and I walked out of a job that I love running in the whole world and I cannot say that enough tonight. And I drank and I drank and I died and I died a thousand times over. I went to work at a nursing home there, in Lincoln. What I'm about ready to share with you guys is something I'm not proud to discuss from the AA podium. It took me years into my sobriety before I would ever mention this. I found myself still in drugs in that nursing home. I was still in morphine and dimerol and cocaine and Valium and I'd get my damn hands on. And I'll tell you why I was doing that. It's not because I like drugs. It has nothing to do with anything. I did it because I couldn't drink at work and I literally could not go more than three hours without drinking or using drugs. The fun was over. It was something I had to do. And I will tell you guys, right up front here tonight, the very thought that I might drink again makes the hair on my neck stand straight up. And that's why I'm an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff. But anyway, the day came for me. The people came up to me, and they said, Karen, what is wrong with you? You are just weird is what you are. Now you take good care of the patients. You're a good nurse and stuff, but you're just strange. And I remember thinking to myself, you'd be strange, too, if you had 200 milligrams of dimmerol on board. You'd be strange, too. And I... I I caught at Keys him, and I walked out the door before they fired me and I went to Bryan Memorial Hospital there in Lincoln and worked and you guys it's a fine, fine facility and I was drunk on that interview I got that nursing position and I'm not talking about falling down drunk I was just maintaining a certain level of alcohol in my bloodstream that I would not shake and have those violent tremors that is clearly desperation drinking our book describes it vividly and I was in hot water up to my yin let me tell you I had to drink had to take drugs and it was all over it was something I had to do and stuff and the day came and I got caught red-handed stealing some more from them. Hospital, and this has got to be without a doubt the most humiliating day of my entire life, when they say, you give us your narcotic keys, get out of this hospital, don't you ever walk back in here again, we're reporting this to the State Board of Nursing Nebraska, that's exactly what they did, that's exactly what they should have done, but a few jobs should have done too, as a matter of fact, and to make a long story short here tonight, I lost my nursing license, and to make a long story short and short of here tonight, I wound up on the streets of Nebraska is what happened to me, and you guys, I spent two years on the streets, and I will tell you, I have traveled to the Midwest, I prostituted myself, and I'll guarantee one thing that I have seen and done things that no woman should ever see or doing. I'm still so sick in the head. Sometimes I think to myself, I wouldn't mind seeing some of them again. You know, and my sponsor assures me <laughs> I'm still a very ill person. You're thinking that kind of crap. And you know, I've been in nut houses, I've been in detoxes, I've been in jails, I've been in institutions. I cannot think of a thing that didn't have me on those streets as a practicing female alcoholic. And I, things happened me I would not repeat in this podium tonight. But I'm sure that you had the general idea. And two years went by for me, and there I was back there in Lincoln, standing. On on Skid Row sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And I certainly had better things intended for myself than to be doing that, I gotta tell you. I will never forget that last day of my drinking as long as I live. And I hope to God it was the last day of my drinking. Although I really can't tell you that much about it if you want to know the truth. I apparently was so physically sick I just passed down the streets, is what happened to me. But, you know, before that happened, I remember thinking to myself there was a Hilton Hotel adjacent to that Skid Row area there in Lincoln. And I remember thinking two years ago, I used to stand on top of the Hilton Hotel and drink martinis with surgeons. What am I doing? standing on skid row drinking with these people and I rather imagine those folks felt the same way when they arrived there and like I said I can't tell you much about it at all I woke up in an intensive care ward at the very hospital that I was born at the very hospital that I worked at for 19 years and I will tell you guys clearly that the alcoholic hell for me started the day I got sober I do know people in this room that have been through withdrawal but it's not a pleasant experience let me tell you and you know I'm not a very big person I only weighed 95 pounds the day I got sober and I was coming off a quarter whatever a day and 200 milligrams of volume a day that is a lot of booze that's a lot of pills, and I had a lot of dying to do, let me tell you. You know, they say that most alcohol withdrawal is over within three days, and perhaps it is for some people. It certainly was not for me. It was going to be a long, long time before I was going to start feeling barren. I laid in that intensive care ward. I had tubes come out of my belly. They were draining fluid off my liver. I had IVs going, and I found myself in withdrawal that was so bad, I cannot begin to tell you guys. And I laid in that intensive care ward, and I shook, and I shook, and I died, and I died a thousand times over. And I'd scream with those nurses and say, you get me some Librium, you get me some Valium, you get me something. This is absolutely the inhumane that anybody should have this kind of withdrawal. And they said, Karen, listen to us. You need to fill one of those and Maybe you'll never do it again. I went to a fine, fine facility, you guys. And they knew exactly what they were doing with alcoholics, and they said, "There's nothing wrong with your heart. It's not throwing any irregularities. You're not getting one single drug from us. So put us for them. But let me tell you what these people did for me, and I will be forever grateful as long as I'm sober in this program, you guys. As I stand here tonight, I owe Alcoholics a tremendous debt. And you're going to soon see why. Let me tell you something I'll never be able to pay back. I can assure you, but they got about 10 people from AA to come and sit with me. And I want to point out something very quickly here. And I don't want me to step on anybody's toes. It's just my personal opinion, okay? I hear people in AA say all the time, we don't go if the alcoholic doesn't call us. Ladies and gentlemen, I am standing here 18 years sober tonight and I never made no phone call. Those nurses got those people to come. And, you know, if it's good enough for our co-founders, then by God, it's good enough for me. Let me tell you. I don't think Dr. Bob called Bill. I think Bill called Bob if I remember the story correctly. So, you know, I never want to forget that. Let me tell you. When somebody's in trouble, I want myself to be there to, to extend a hand, let me tell you. And, but anyway, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not saying anything about what you do. I'm talking about what I do. But anyway, I just fell in love with these people, and I'll tell you why. There was nobody in my life today I got sober. My family wanted nothing to do with me. They've been through it too many times, and i go through it one more time. My mom, who I absolutely adored, had to be hospitalized because of me and put on tranquilizers. My mom did not deserve that by a long shot. And I have not forgotten that as I like stand here tonight. Although my mom is dead, I have to make constant living amends to that woman. And I can do that by being a good member of that. And so forth. But anyway, at thirty days of sobriety I walked in that official treatment point at that hospital. I'm a product of a treatment center. I have no opinion on them one way or the other, but apparently I went to a fine one because all they talked about was Alcoholics Anonymous. And you guys there's a lot of bad ones out there, let me tell you, and thank God I went to a good one. And you know where I went through treatment, a lot of people got kicked out of treatment for fraternizing. I didn't. Nobody wants to fraternize with an orange person, I can assure you. And, uh, <laughs> They used to bring the patients over to the hospital and they'd say, look at her, see what's going to happen if you keep on drinking, look at her. And I thought, how dare you bring people in my room and say stuff like that. But you know what, in retrospect tonight, I am really glad they did that. I get to think about that before I pick up any drinks, let me tell you. But... Anyway, I walked in that group. There was 14 guys in that group. I did not do well in that treatment center. As a direct result of my awful behavior, I was an inpatient 30-day program for seven months. That's not much fun. But, you know, I completed that seven-month program, and I went to an outpatient program. I went to an evening care program. I went to an aftercare program. And I found myself a very, very active member of Alcoholics Anonymous in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I wasn't doing one thing the way that you teach people in AA to do it. And I rapidly went through 19 sponsors in that town. I would tell the new people, you don't need to read the book, and you don't need a sponsor. We don't what want to do around here. This is an individual program. And needless to say, I was not real popular with the old-timers in Lincoln, let me tell you. And you guys, the old-timers, they are so precious to me as I stand here tonight. But not in 1982, I could have cared less one way, one way or the other what these people, thought. And, you know, you can pull your crap on here just for so long, and these old-timers are going to start nailing you one way after the other. God loved the meat old-timers and alcohol-exonymous. They really saved my life, let me tell you. And, boy, they are dying off right and left, i got to tell you guys, and they have taught me well. And I'll be eternally grateful, i got to tell you, but... This little guy with 29 years of sobriety grabbed me out of an AA meeting one day and he said, come outside. I want to talk to you. He said, you stay away from the new people. How dare you tell the new people in AA, to read the book and they need to sponsor? He said, you're like a typhoid Mary in AA. Everybody dies around you, but you're able to stay sober somehow. He said, you stay away from the new people. And he went on to tell me there's going to be a man from California speaking in Carnegie, Nebraska this weekend. His name is Clancy. Go up to this man and speak. You're going to ask this man if he will sponsor you. He is a master dealing with jerks like you. And i heard all, I'd heard all about Clancy and I wanted nothing to do with him. Period, because I knew I was going to be in bad, bad trouble. And I got to tell you guys that my fears have been justified eight thousand times over. (Laughter) <laughs> I told this old charmer I said, who do you think you are that you're going to tell me he's going to be my sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous? He said, if you don't get in that car and go this Saturday, I'm going to tell everybody in Lincoln how you stole money from an AA meeting. And I'll guarantee I was in that car going to Carnegie, Nebraska. And I paid that money back, too, by the way. I did, <laughs> really. I did pay it back. And, uh, and I will tell you guys from a podium in Carnegie, Nebraska, that Clancy literally put the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life. My life has never been the same since that talk. And there's a reason for that. For the first time in my sobriety, I was a identify another alcoholic and as I understand Alcoholics Anonymous that's what this thing is all about I know of no finer speaker in the world than my sponsor I'm not saying that you need to believe that it's only important that I believe that and by the end of that talk I wanted that man for my sponsor that ladies and gentlemen is how God works in my life I wouldn't have asked that man to sponsor me in a million years trust me I wouldn't have asked him and I found myself walk across that convention floor and asked that man to be my sponsor and he looked at me and he said I don't sponsor crazy people like you and that's a lie anyway he sponsors people crazier I never thought of being and And I, and I thought to myself, what he said that to me for. He doesn't even know me. And I wasn't aware of the fact this old timer called him two weeks prior to him coming to Nebraska and asked him if they brought me if he would talk. He said, of course I will. And he knew my game, let me tell you. And I was standing in my little white dress on, my little white gloves on, acting like an angel. And he saw right through my crap, I got to tell you. And thank God he saw through it. But he said, Karen, I like to sponsor people on a long distance basis, but I'm going to do this for you because if I don't do it for you, you'll probably go die somewhere. But he said, I'm going to tell you something, little girl, and you better to me, real good because I'm going to say it one time and one time only. You're going to call me every day. I tell you not to call me every day. You are going to read that book. You're going to sponsor people. You become an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're not going to argue with me. You're not going to defend your actions to me. You're going to do what I ask you to do. And if you don't want to do that, then get yourself a different sponsor. And you guys, you want to talk about we stood at the turning point. This is the day <laughs> when my recovery really did begin in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said two words that I almost fell over when I said them. I said, Yes, sir. I don't tell people yes, sir. I do not not do that. And one more time, God, do for me what I can't do for myself. Respect's got to start for me somewhere. Might as well start with my sponsor, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I went back to Lincoln. I became very, very active in A in the right way. One of my sons sponsored a lot of women in that town. I'm not bragging about that. It's not that much fun to sponsor 56 crazy women in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I grew to love those women very, very much. And I'll tell you why. They literally showed me the first four years of my sobriety, what to do and what not to do in this program. And every one of those girls are still sober today, with the exception of one. And she died in a car accident when she was 13 years sober. But she died sober, you guys. And it wasn't because of me. They were active members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the first directions my sponsor gave me, I want you to get that nursing license back. And I tried to tell him I cannot have that kind of humiliation. He said, Karen, are you arguing with me? And I said, no. He said, get to the State Board of Nursing Nebraska. Tell those people that you've been sober in AA for a year and a half. You'd like the opportunity to get your nursing license back. And you guys, I knew it wasn't going to work, but I did it anyway. And that's without a doubt the most important thing I can say in this room tonight. I did what my... My sponsor asked me to do whether I thought it would work or not. And I asked them for my license back. And they looked at me like I had just grown horns on the top of my head, I can assure you. And they said, How many links are you willing to go to? And I had to do a lot, you guys. I had to take crap off people for two years that I wouldn't hire to mow my own lawn, if you know the truth. And I had to keep my mouth shut in the process too. And one of the happiest days of my life occurred fifteen years ago last April, when one more time I was sitting in front of the State Board of Nursing Nebraska, and what they told me brought me to my knees for the first time in an Alcoholics Anonymous. They said, Welcome home. You're fully reinstated as a registered nurse. And as a gift from AA, I, no, no, please, you guys, no, you're the ones that did this. It wasn't me. Let me tell you something. People in A literally walked me through every second of that. If it wasn't for you, I never could have gotten through it, let me tell you. But, you know, it was a very happy day in my life, i got to tell you. Great events will come to pass for you and countless others. That's a great event in my life. And, And I thank you so much for that. I'm back in my profession today. I'm back in the operating room today. I've been there for years and stuff. But if it wasn't for you, I'd be dead. And if I was still alive, I can guarantee I wouldn't be in any operating room if I was drinking tonight. But I'm so grateful for you guys. I can't begin to tell you. I'm sure you can see why and stuff. But... Anyway, I told my sponsor on the phone one day. I went out to visit Los Angeles a couple times, and and I just fell in love with Southern California. A and you know, I think I'm in the mecca of A in the whole world, and so do you. We should all think that about our respective areas and stuff. But you know, I'll tell you, I told my sponsor on the phone one day. I said, I want to move to Los Angeles. I want to live on that crazy Venice Beach with all those crazy people. I knew I'd feel like a glove, and I've been wrong about that either. I want to belong on the Pacific Group. I want to work at UCLA in the operating room. I want this, and I want that, and, and every single one of those things have come true for me, and those are all gifts from A. And I deserve any of it, but by God, I'm going to take it, let me tell you. And, you know, before I sit down here tonight, I want to tell you guys a story that I've been asked to tell by about a hundred people here tonight. And you don't need to worry. I love to tell it every time I give a convention talk because I get to relive it all over again and stuff. But, you know, my sponsor taught me early on. He said, where are you at with your spiritual program? And he flipped open the book and he said, see, I want you to read that to me, Karen, read what that says to me. And I read him that passage where it says, I get a daily reprieve contingent on a spiritual maintenance of power greater than myself. And he said, what does that mean? mean to you? I said nothing.' He said, well, let me tell you what it means to me. What it means to me is that I have to pray whether I believe in it or not. And he said, you have got to get some higher power in your life. He said, I want you to start praying on your knees every morning, praying for God's will on your knees in the morning, on your knees at night. And he said, do not call me and tell me you're not doing that. I want to hear that you are doing that. And so this is when I still did in Lincoln. And I talked to Clancy every day on the phone and I'd say, this is not working for me. I don't feel any connection with God. I felt like a fool doing it, if you want to know the truth. And he said, you know, he said that, Karen, are you staying sober one day? Time in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, Well, you know that I am. He said, That's the point of the whole thing. Are you stupid or what? I wasn't playing with a full deck when I arrived here. It took me a long, long time to get these little simple things, let me tell you. And and my sponsor has also taught me, you guys, to do what's in front of me. Just do what God gives you to do. And one time I asked him, I said, What is God's will? He said, Well, how the hell am I supposed to know I'm not God? But he said, I have to believe that when I'm doing the right thing, that is God's will. If I feel good about what I'm doing, he said, I have to believe that we do what's in front of us. Our book even addresses that. If you would read it, Karen. And and I said, well, what does that mean, do what's in front He said, why don't you answer the phone just for starters? You know, when I got sober, you guys, I didn't have a telephone. It took me a long time to get a telephone, now collect Anonymous, And by the time I got one, I sure didn't want to answer it. was bill collectors. And, you know, I came in this program, $86,000 in debt. I'm happy to report here tonight. There's a direct result of answering that telephone last April. I made my last payment to Lincoln, Nebraska of $800, and I'm $86,000 out of debt, now collect Anonymous. And my sponsor does not believe in bankruptcy if you have to do that to your business I'm not knocking it I wanted to do it let me tell you he said not with me as your sponsor figure it out start paying that money back it only took me 16 short years to do it you know but by God I did it and stuff and I just got a brand new car with a Bank of America loan and, and I walked in there and I said I want that car and he said Bank of America loan okay and I said sure I had no hope of getting a Bank of America loan at one time but anyway he ran the numbers he said were you in, did you have a credit problem at one time and I thought you have no idea pal you know and he said well it looks like it's all paid that's all we care about." I drove a brand new car off that lot, the Bank of America loan, So I'm trying to give the newcomers some hope here. It's not hopeless, trust me. Just start paying it back. But anyway, I was taught to answer the telephone, you guys. And about nine years ago, we had trouble nursing crisis in Southern California. And we were working our butts off, let me tell you. And I worked the night shift at UCLA on two of their transplant teams, their heart and liver transplant teams and so forth. And we do a lot of stuff at nighttime. But anyway, this one particular night I don't want to tell you about, I worked 72 hours that week. And you know, were like, we're too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I was a bitch is what I was. But anyway, I went home and I went to Betterly because I was off that night and about two o'clock in the morning the, the phone rang and it was my boss and I thought, I'm not answering that tone. It's, phone, it's either one of the people I sponsor or it's my boss want me to come to work. But you know what? You guys have taught me. Pick up the telephone and answer it. You know, somebody might be in trouble. And you've taught me too well, I'm sorry to say, but I had to pick up that telephone and I'm so glad I did you guys. The most precious thing happened to me. And anyway, sure enough it was my boss and she said, I've got eighteen people sick over here tonight and I need your help. We're gonna do a liver transplant. It's about three years old. I have nobody to do it. Now get over here and help me. I said, I am not coming over there. I've worked 72 hours. I can't even think straight. And she hung up on me is what she did. Well, I was going to call my sponsor, but I don't want to talk to him about nothing at two o'clock in the morning. I know they told me nobody ever died from lack of sleep, Karen. I have to say, well, there's a first time for everything, Clancy. You know, but uh, I didn't even want to get into it. I just went to work. And, and I got over there and I sent my order upstairs to bring our little baby down to surgery, the little three-year-old and stuff. And, and uh, we had a jet coming from the east coast of Deliver for this child with some time to kill and stuff. And, and he called me in the back and he said, "Come out in front and get your patient. You're not going to believe all the people of this family." And I thought, "Well, that's nice that they had the support and stuff." I was so crappy, you guys. And but I went out in front to get my patient. There was about 85 people with this family. I thought how highly unusual at 4 o'clock in the morning. How highly unusual anytime time, if you want to know the truth. But the f- next thing I noticed was the mother. She had the most beautiful blue eyes I've ever seen before in my life, and the dad was good looking and stuff. And you guys, I looked down at my little patient, and I got to tell you that Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to love at a level I never ever ever dreamt possible of myself. And I ever so gently fell in love with this little baby girl and she was so sick, she lift her head off the pillow, she was so sick and dying from some strange liver thing and needed a transplant. And I remember thinking to myself, and you didn't want to be here, you selfish person, you didn't want to be here. I just hated myself at that moment, but by God, I was the best nurse I've been before in my life that night too. But in her little arms she had a bear wrapped in a blanket hanging on to here for dear life and, and I'd been over and I talked to her and I said, Oh, you brought your little bear down to surgery. And she tried to tell me her little bear was going to have a liver transplant. And I oh, you're both going to have one. And she said, no, no, just the bear, you know. Anyway, (laughs) we sent the family out the waiting room. And that mom was an absolute hysterics, i got to tell you guys. And this little girl looked at me. She said, why is my mommy crying? Go tell my mommy not to cry. And because of Alcoholics Anonymous, what i learned in this program, I was able to tell that baby the truth. And I said, your mommy's crying because your mommy loves you so very, very much. And that seemed to settle her down a little bit and stuff. And we have an anesthesiologist at UCLA that loves to play with the kids, you guys. He is just a delight to work with. And so when she got her IV, he started the bear gun IV started, his bag was called bear juice. She thought that was real funny. And when she went to sleep, the bear went to sleep, and it was all quite painless for her, if you want to know the truth. And we put that little bear in a little plastic bag right by her little head. It was there her whole entire surgery. And I must tell you guys that sixteen hour transplant did not go well. We almost lost that baby a couple times due to blood loss. I have never seen a team of people pull together like we pulled together for that baby that night. And sixteen hours later she went to her room with not much hope at all, I gotta tell you guys. But she'd lost a tremendous amount of blood. Boy, we said some prayers on that one all I'll tell you. And I became obsessed with this baby and I had to see her again. And we have a rule at UCLA you may not get involved with these transplant patients. They wanted the organs to come from. We cannot tell them. It's best not to see them after surgery. Now, I'm telling you, but in this room tonight, that I'm real good at breaking rules now, aren't I? And I thought, well, I'm just going to go up and see how she's doing. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I just had to go see her and stuff. And, and I opened the door to that baby's room when she was six days post-op from that transplant. And you guys, I could not believe it was in front of my face. My God, the power of God, the power of God. Here was this little baby girl with the gorgeous blue eyes, jumping up and down in her crib. She had her diapers hanging around her knees. She had that bear in one arm, and she put band-aids all over this bear. He had band-aids on his eyes, his ears, his nose, and I mean everywhere for his liver transplant, I guess, and stuff. And, and she was just jumping up and down. It was the first time she'd been up since her surgery and stuff, and that whole room full of people were in there. And I, something caught my eye out of the corner of my eye, and it all made sense to me now. There was our book, Alcoholics Nama, sitting on this kid's dresser, and I was in that room like a flash, and I said to the mom, I said, whose book is that? And she said, Well, that's my book. I'm a member of AA, so is my husband. Her sponsor was there. His sponsor was there. Those 75, 80 people were, were members of Alcoholics Anonymous, you guys. And they had driven 500 miles to be with his family. They were not from the LA area. And I'm here to tell you that they showed me what this deal is all about one more time. It's about love and service, and that's all it's about. And I was impressed, let me tell you. And I asked the mom, I said, How long have you been sober? And she said, Five years today. I thought, Oh my God, her little baby up for the first time. What a fabulous birthday present and stuff. And, and I watched her this baby and she looked at me and she stopped dead in her tracks and she said go away I'm not sick anymore I have I have I had my scrub clothes on, and it scared the hell out of her is what it did and I said, I didn't come up here to hurt you. I came up here to see what you're doing, how you're doing. You guys, she gave me her bear and she said, You take him home and take care of him. He's so sick and needs a nurse to take care of him. I know why she gave me the bear to get me away from her, is why she did it. But you know, I told the mom, I said, I can't take that bear home. My God, that bear with this baby's liver transplant. You really need to keep this a And She said, Karen, please take it. She wants you to have it. She's got fifty bears in this room. And she did indeed have fifty bears in that room. And I felt like a fool walking down the hall with that bear, but that bear is without a out my most prized possession, the problem of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I thought to myself, I need to reciprocate here. I obviously wasn't ready for a birthday party, and I remember something that was in my pocket that my sponsor gave me when I was five years sober. I was nine years sober when this happened. There's a medallion in my pocket for five years of sobriety. And next to the narcotic keys, that's why it's there, you guys, and, you know, I'm a selfish woman, I'm sorry to say. I could not seem to find the woman that was special enough, in my opinion, give my five-year medallion to. And I knew I'd found her, let me tell you, and, and I gave it to her, and she says, oh, Karen, I can't take that. My God, Clance. He gave it. And I said, "No, I want you to have it." yours, it's not mine and stuff. And the nurses got wind of all this. We got a cake for the mother. We celebrated her five years of sobriety. I got my sponsor on the telephone. I had never seen him so excited about anything since I've known him. Within about three hours, we had about 50 cars in front of UCLA, and I can't begin to tell you how proud I was to take those people to my home group and Alcoholics Anonymous and the Pacific Group. There's been no more contact with them. It's got to be that way for many, many reasons. But that little girl is doing very well. And the point I'm trying to make here is that if I hadn't done what was in front of me and answered that telephone, I would have missed the whole damn thing. How many times in my life have I missed stuff because I wouldn't take some quick actions and stuff? But, you know, people say to me all the time, why do you keep doing it, Karen? Why do you keep doing it? And I know of no greater thing to say to them than where our 12th tradition says long form. So that this to the end, that my great blessings may never spoil me. I may forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over all. And there's more reasons than that for me. You're the ones that walked me when nobody else would walk with me. You held my hand when nobody else would hold my hand. And you told me that you loved me. And I need you as desperately as in you. 1982. You've taught me how to live. You've taught me how to love. You've taught me how to keep my pants up and all those things. And I don't do any of those things very well. But I'll tell you the one thing that I do with 200% absolute perfection, and that is this: that I love this program more than anything in the whole world. And it's truly a story from an alcoholic hell I cannot even describe. I have truly been given, just like the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous says. I have truly been given the keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to say one more thing and I'm going to shut my mouth here. It has been one hell of a walk from Skidmore, Nebraska to where I stand in Cincinnati, Ohio tonight. And I think that but for the grace of God and Alcoholics that I would have missed it all. Thank you for having me and thank you for my life. <laughs>